This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, everybody. So glad that you're here today as we wrap up our four-week series on Jonah. If we haven't met yet, my name is Kevin, and I get the privilege of sharing with you for the next 30 minutes or so before we move into an incredible time of worship and baptisms a little bit later today. When you came in, you got a program inside of that. There's a few things you're going to want to use this morning. One is a connect card. It says start here on one side. Here's what I'd love you to do. Just put your name down on there, and if you're a regular part of our community, we have your information. That's fine. If you're new to us, would you give us as much information as you're comfortable with so we can help you connect? Connect with the church, connect with God. That's our goal. That's what we want to do. So if you're new, if you would give us that information, that would be awesome. Here's what we're going to do. We're just going to help you connect. Connect to the church, connect with God. If you would give us that information and you're new, we have a gift bag for you out in the kiosk in the back of the uh, lobby. It's a really, really good stuff. So uh, trust me, you give a little something, you get a little something, it'll be worth it for you in the end, I promise. Um, You're also going to want your teaching notes if you are a note-taking type person. If you take these and just throw them away at the end of the morning, um, don't worry about it. Just listen to what I have to say and let God speak to you that way. If you use these throughout the day, uh, throughout the week, if you use them to help you connect with God, Take notes, fill in the blanks, write things in the outline. I'm going to be hitting some scriptures that aren't on your notes, so you can write them down on the side and look them up later on this week. Well, we are in for a treat. Like I said, Jonah week four. Jonah is a short book in the Bible. It's four chapters. We've done a chapter each week, and if you've missed any of the last weeks, you've missed a fourth of the story. So I'm going to recap for you real quick in case you're new or in case you missed a week. Basically, this is how this story plays out. Jonah week one, chapter one, God says to Jonah, this prophet, he says, listen, I want you to go to the Ninevites, this group of people who's nasty and horrible and mean. They do gruesome, grotesque, horrible things to other people. They are vicious and violent. And I want you to tell them in 40 days, In 40 days, if you don't repent, I'm going to destroy you. 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. And Jonah says, you know what, God? I hear what you're saying, but I've got a better idea. How about instead of going to Nineveh where you want me to go, uh, how about I go to Tarshish, which is basically the other direction as far as I can get, and I don't tell the people, and then in 40 days you just destroy them anyway. How about you just do that? That'd be fantastic, God. Uh, I kind of—I know you're telling me what to do, but I've got a better plan than you do because the honest truth is, God, I know more than you know. And so even though you're saying to go this way, I'm going to go that way. And the question for us is how many times have you looked at your life? Have you been sitting there just with your hands in your head looking back on a painful situation, a hurt relationship, the uncertainty in life, and you look back on it with your hands in your head and you say, it all goes back to one thing. I thought I knew better than God. God said to do this, and I did that, and that made all the difference. I did the wrong thing. I went the wrong way, and you know what? I got stuck. I got in trouble, and I needed to turn back to him. If you ever had that situation, then you're tracking with Jonah so far, because God says go one way, Jonah goes the other way, and he gets himself in a lot of trouble. It does not go well for him. He gets on a boat. A storm comes. The boat's about to sink. The people throw him overboard, because that's the only way to save themselves. He wants them to do it. And a fish comes and swallows him. And and if you think, you know what, that's just a big fish story. That's not true. Uh, Listen, it's happened before. We have records of people being swallowed by fish and cut out of fish. And they—it's not a good situation. They're in the stomach of a fish or they're inside the fish. And the acids from the fish are eating them alive uh, from the outside. And it's just really a nasty thing. And so Jonah in chapter 2 is inside this fish. It is nasty. He says, "I'm, I'm literally going to hell. 
I am in hell. I'm in the depths of it. There's no way out. And in Jonah chapter 2, Jonah prays to God. He says, God, I know that I have disobeyed you. I know I did the wrong thing. I know you said go right, and I went left. I know you said stand up, and I sat down. I know you said, you know, to do this in my relationship, but I did that. God, I know I screwed up, but God, would you forgive me? God, can you still use me? God, do you still have a plan for my life? And this is the question of Jonah chapter 2 when he calls out to God in this prayer. He says, God, rescue me from hell. I'm literally in the depth of hell, and I need you. And the great news is that God rescues Jonah. God uses the fish to take him back to where he needs to be, and this fish spits him out onto the the land. And uh, my guess is, from what I've been looking at and studying when this type of thing happens, is that the acid had had like stripped off his skin, and so his skin was this kind of yellowish, brownish color. Um, Probably all of his hair had been eaten away. At least that's what happens to the people who have been in fish in more recent times. Uh, All the hair on their body is just gone, and he's just this gruesome thing. And so he goes into Nineveh because he says, Okay, God, I'll do what you said to do. I still don't get it. I still don't understand why you want me to do it, but I will, I'll do it. So he goes into Nineveh and he says to him, 40 days, Nineveh, you have 40 days and then God's going to destroy you. And the people listen to him because let's be honest, if someone walked in here looking like Jonah looked, smelling like Jonah smelled, and said something like, hey, in 40 days, God's going to destroy you, whether we fully believed him or not, we would at least listen because it's creepy, it's gross, and we like that kind of thing. That's why you watch scary movies. You know, you just can't turn away. And so they listened to him. And here's the incredible, amazing God moment. We find out that the whole nation repents. At least 150,000 people turn back to God. They repent of the thing that they did. They repent of turning away from God. It's this incredible, incredible time. Jonah chapter 3 verse 10 says this. And this is the first verse on your outline. Now, when God saw their deeds, that they had turned away from their uh, wicked ways, God relented concerning the calamity, concerning the destruction which he had declared that he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Have you ever had one of those moments where you felt like you were, you were doing what you were created to do? Maybe it was when a child was born. You said, I was made to be a parent. This is what I was created to do. Or maybe it was at work, and, and you, you made that sale. You did that thing. You helped that child. And you said, this is what I was made to do. I had one of those this is what I was made to do moments when I was 22. So nine years ago, I had one of these moments. I had just gone into full-time ministry, and I got asked to speak at my first conference. And I'd never given a sermon, never given a talk before in my life, never really even given a speech before. But they said, hey, come speak at this conference. It's about 100 college freshmen, and it's, it's pretty much all Christians. So you're speaking to them about the idea of turning away from the things they're doing that are destructive and turning back to God. And so I said, okay, yeah, I'll do it. That sounds fantastic. Well, I found out right before I went up on stage, and I was already scared, already nervous. I found out right before I went up on stage, there was one person there who wasn't a follower of Jesus. How would you like to be that person? Maybe today you feel like you are that person. Uh, You're here, you're checking out God, and you're sure everyone else in here knows God except for you. I can tell you there are a number of us in here today who are checking out Christianity. And if that's you today— I want to tell you, God has something for you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to meet you. You're not alone. But in reality, this woman was alone. She was the only person. And I had made a commitment that when I preach, when I talk about God, if there's someone there who doesn't know him, I'm going to give them a chance to respond to God, just like I'm going to do later on this morning. 
So I started preaching, and I was getting real excited, probably a little too much coffee, because I started pacing back and forth. And I was walking back and forth so fast that one of my friends in the front row said she had to stop watching because she got motion sick. That's how fast I was. I was just going back and forth, and I'm pretty sure I had my notes like this, just kind of talking, because when you start, you're not any good at it. Um, but, but God used it. And this is what God does. He uses us when we're not even very good at what we do. He used it. This woman gave her life to Jesus. She came to faith in him. This one woman who wasn't a follower of God, she became a follower of God. Here's what happened. I, I invited people to give their lives to Jesus, and I didn't look straight at her. So if you ever feel like I'm looking straight at you, I'm not. I'm just looking around. I was panning around. Well, she gave her life to Christ. I didn't know this. All I know is she ran out of the room crying. And I'm like, oh, crap. That is not what I was going for. But she gave her life to Jesus. It was incredible, incredible. And uh, here's the thing. It left me speechless. It left me in awe of God. It left me thinking, man, God is so powerful and so big. He can use even that mess, whatever that thing was that I did on stage, he can use even that to draw people back to himself. I was in awe of God. I was speechless. And I read Jonah chapter 3. Jonah goes in and he gives this message. Basically, listen, turn or burn, baby. If you don't come to God, you're dead. You're going to die. He's going to destroy you. And 150,000 people, at least 150,000 people, turn back to God. And we would think Jonah would be speechless. He would be blown away because people have repented, have turned back to God. If Jonah was alive today, he would be at every Christian conference because he's like the man. He's like, in my mind, the most successful prophet in the Old Testament because the role of a prophet was to reveal God to the people, tell them to follow him, call people back to God, and then tell them what will happen if they don't do that, if they keep sinning, if they keep in their ways. And so in my mind, he's the most successful prophet in terms of his role, which was to call people back to God. 150,000 people, my gosh. He'd be on Time Magazine, Christianity Today. He'd be on Oprah, Dr. Phil. I mean, he'd be all over the place. He'd be incredible. So we're thinking he just must be overjoyed. Jonah chapter 4 must literally just end with Jonah saying, Lord, I praise you. Thank you for being so good. Thank you for using someone like me to do something incredible. Thank you for giving me a second chance. And here's how Jonah chapter 4 actually ends. Jonah chapter 4 verse 1 says this, but it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. Now, let's just, let's just stop there for a second. That word angry means that there was literally like a fire burning inside of him, a rage. He's like, throw the controller across the room angry. He's like, punch a hole in the wall angry. He's like screaming and pulling out your hair angry. He is so mad at God because these people turned back to him. And this is what he prayed to the Lord. Maybe you've felt this way before. He said, please, Lord, Was this not what I said while I was still in my own country? He basically says, look, I I said these people might turn back to you. I knew they might, and I hate these, these people. Is that what I said? Therefore, in order to forestall this, in order for this not to happen, so that they would not turn back to you, I went to Tarshish. I went the other direction because I knew this about you, God. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God that you're slow to anger, that you are abundant in loving kindness. You relent concerning calamity. Therefore, God, take my life. Kill me. That's how angry I am. That's how distraught I am. Kill me, God, because death is better for me than life. 
And the Lord said to Jonah, do you really have a good reason to be angry? I mean, come on, do you really have a good reason to be angry? To which Jonah replies, yeah, actually, God, I do have a good reason to be angry. Thanks for asking. Let me tell you why I'm angry. And he starts listing off this whole thing. He says, look, you know the Ninevites. They are, they're raunchy, nasty, wicked people. And I know you, and I know that even though you said you were going to destroy them, there's something in you that I, I knew if they turned, you might forgive them. And I didn't want that because they've done horrible things to my people. They've done horrible things to my nation, to my family. And this is my complaint against you, God. This is why I'm so, so angry with you. Yeah, I do have a reason to be mad. You are a gracious God. You are a compassionate God. You are slow to anger. You're abounding in loving kindness. You relent from destruction. You don't bring destruction on the people who deserve destruction. And the truth is the Ninevites deserve destruction. God, you know it as well as I know it. Sure, they say they repented. They said they turned back to you. Sure, they stopped eating for a few days. But we all know they deserve to die. Kill them or kill me. See, in that moment, Jonah does not want a gracious God who is slow to anger, who is kind and compassionate. 25 verses earlier, when he was in the belly of a fish going down to the depths of hell, that's when he wanted a gracious God who was slow to anger, who was compassionate, who relented in doing what Jonah deserved. He doesn't want a grace-based God. He wants a truth-based God. He wants a justice-based God. He wants a God who gives them what they deserve. And they deserve death, every one of them, from the oldest to the youngest, the grandpas to the babies. They deserve death. And the tension that Jonah has is that one minute God is a truth-based God, giving people what they deserve. And the next minute, it seems like God becomes a grace-based God, judging people not based on what they deserve, but based on the fact that they come back to him. One minute, he's a God who says 40 days, and you're done. No ifs, ands, or buts. He doesn't tell Jonah to go in and say 40 days and you're done unless you repent. He just says 40 days and you're done. And the next minute, they repent, and he forgives them. And if this feels like a double standard to you, it is a double standard. Jonah is living in this double standard, this tension that's not unique to Jonah. It's a tension that we face on a regular basis. How many of us would say, if we screw up at work, what do we want for ourselves? We want our boss to overlook it. We want him to be gracious towards us, to give us another chance. But if a, a coworker who we're competing for the same position, if they screw up at work, what do we want for them? We want truth for them. We want justice for them. We want the boss to treat them the way they deserve. We want them fired. If I'm a big jerk to my wife, what do I want from her? I want grace-based wife. I want forgiveness-based wife. I want love-based wife. But if she does something to me that kind of ticks me off, sometimes what do I give her? I give her truth, baby. I give her justice. I give her what she deserves. For those of you who are in college 
or in high school. If someone cheats on a test and they break the curve for you, they wreck the curve for you, what do you want? You want them to get caught and you want truth-based professor. You want them to get thrown out of the class. But if you've ever cheated on a test and you got caught, what did you want from your professor? You wanted grace-based professor. You wanted love-based professor. You wanted forgiveness-based professor. You wanted to go to some, you know, crazy hippie school where they don't give out grades. You wanted that kind of professor. <laughs> and this goes all the time, all the time. Because what's the reality? I want grace for me, but I want truth for you. That's the tension that Jonah has. That's the tension that we live in. I want grace for me, but truth for you. God, be gracious to me when I sin, but when someone sins against me, I don't want to forgive them. I want truth for them. God, when someone does a horrible, unspeakable crime, when a tragedy happens, I want grace for me if it's me, but if it's someone else, I want truth for them. And it's a tension that we face in the church all the time. Because the longer we're in the church, the more we forget about where we came from outside of God. The more we forget about how we were before we met Jesus. Because when we first came to church, isn't it true? We knew we were messed up. That's why we came to church, a lot of us. We knew there was something we were missing. We weren't fully experiencing life. And we needed grace-based God in our lives. God, forgive me. That's how a relationship with God starts. God, forgive me because I am a sinner. And sin is simply this. I have missed the mark of what you want for me. I have not lived the life that you have for me. It's hurt my relationship with you. It's hurt my relationship with other people. And it is hurting me. And so we come into the church wanting a grace-based God. But the longer we are in the church, isn't it true that the narrower our margins get and the more we want a truth-based God? Someone else comes into the church and the thing that they need forgiveness for falls outside of the, you know, the acceptable sin. I'm greedy. I'm angry. I don't forgive. They do something really bad and we want truth-based God for them because we already experienced our grace over here. It's this tension that has always bothered religious people. It bothered Jonah. Because the Ninevites' sin, in his opinion, was outside of the bounds of God's grace. His sin of being called a prophet, called by God, and then completely running away from God, you know, telling, telling God basically, I'm done with you. His sin fell within the bounds of God's grace, but in his opinion, the Ninevites' sin fell outside of the bounds of God's grace. And it's this tension that religious people always feel. In Jesus' day, this was one of the main issues that the religious people had with Jesus, was that he was known to call to himself, to draw to himself sinners, and like tax collectors who were traitors to the Jewish people and prostitutes and all this crazy kind of stuff. And so part of the reason why they wanted to kill Jesus was because they could not live in the tension that Jesus created. In John chapter 1, John, who was one of Jesus' followers, was one of the last one of Jesus' followers who was still alive. And he was a very old man when he wrote the book of John. And some friends were saying, listen, you've been talking about, about Jesus a lot. You've been telling us all these stories. You're going to die at some point. 
we need you to write it down. And so he wrote down the book of John as a, um, a biography of Jesus' life. And he starts out John chapter 1 by saying this. He says, Jesus is the word of God that spoke everything into being. If you imagine Jesus is the artist and with um, his, his speaking, he creates this beautiful palette that is our world. And then he creates humanity, which is like his Mona Lisa. He says, Jesus is the Word. And this is what he says about the Word, about Jesus in verse 14. The Word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. He says, look at me and my friends. We didn't hear about Jesus' glory. We saw his glory. We were there, baby. We, we were with him. We saw the fullness of God in Jesus. So listen to what I have to say. We saw his glory. It was the glory of the only begotten Son from the Father. And catch this, and Jesus was full. And that word full means overflowing. Can't put any more in. Nothing else gets in. He was full of grace and, catch this, and he was full of truth. So imagine a pitcher being filled up with water full of grace, and then another pitcher over here, and combining those two together and having it get right to the top. Jesus was 100% grace. He was full of grace, and he was full of truth. And this is what drives religious folks crazy. And by the way, religious folks are different than Jesus followers. In this church, I hope we are Jesus followers, not just religious folks. Religious folks follow rules. Jesus followers have a relationship with God where they follow Jesus. And this is what drove them crazy. They could not figure out God. They wanted God to be either or. They wanted truth or grace. Truth or grace. Jonah wants truth or grace. But God says, no, I am truth and grace to the fullest. So Jonah looks at God and he says, God, God, you told me that in 40 days you would destroy these people. And God says, yep, I sure did. I told you 40 days and they're going to be destroyed. And if they don't turn back to me, they're done because they deserve to die. And I am a truth-based God. I give people what they deserve because I'm full of truth. But, God would say to Jonah, but they turned back to me. And so I'm forgiving them because I am a grace-based God as well. See, that's the tension. Is your God a truth-based God or a grace-based God? Or is your God the God of the Bible who is both the fullness of grace and truth put together? Jonah can't wrap his mind around this. And so God says to him, look, I'm not getting, I'm not getting through to you. Verse 5 goes on to say this. Jonah went up from out of the city to the east of it, and there was a little hill to the east of the city. He went up to sit on this hill to look down at Nineveh because he thought, look, if they turn to Jesus that quickly, if they turn to God that quickly, maybe they'll turn back from him that quickly, and I'll get to see some fireworks. He's waiting for his own Fourth of July. He wants to see the fire coming down. And so he goes up on this hill, and there he made a shelter for himself, and he sat under it in the shade until he could see what was going to happen to the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant, and this plant grew up over Jonah, and it created shade for his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy. It said he was rejoicing. He was overjoyed. He was so happy about the plant. He became friends with the plant. He named the plant. The plant was his good buddy. He and the plant shared the day together. This plant gave him shade. He was extremely happy. But, verse 7, but God appointed a worm 
When the dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and the plant withered. And then when the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on his head so that he became faint and he begged with all of his soul to die. You ever feel that way? God, just kill me now. I can't take it. And, and I say it with some humor, but the truth is some of us do feel that way. Like, God, I just can't make it anymore. Kill me now. Because he says, death is better for me than life. Then God said to Jonah, again, do you have a good reason to be angry about this plant? And Jonah said, yeah, actually, I have a very good reason to be angry about this plant, even to death. Then the Lord said, you are having compassion on a plant which you did not work to grow and which you did not cause to grow. It came up overnight and it perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh? the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and their left, as well as many animals. I don't really know what that last part means, but as well as many animals. He says, look, Jonah, you love a tree. You love a plant. It was there for one day. One day. You didn't make it. You didn't plant it. You didn't water it. It just grew up, and then I killed it. Why would you have compassion on this plant? Listen, I have compassion on these people. I created them. I love them. I know them. Listen, I know that in your mind they are beyond saving, but they are not beyond saving to me. Shouldn't I have compassion the way that you have compassion on this plant? Joni, you're all about truth. You're all about justice. But I'm a God of grace and truth. So even though they deserved to die, when they came back to me, I forgave them. I want these people to turn back to me. By the way, that is how the story of Jonah ends. That's it. Shouldn't I have compassion on 120,000 people and some animals? Dot, dot, dot. And we're wondering like, okay, really? No resolution? We don't really know what happens. Did Jonah... Uh, turn back to God and say, you're right, God. I was being a jerk. I was being a religious person who just wanted grace for me and truth for you. We don't know, but here's what we do know. It leaves us with a question. What kind of church are we going to be? What kind of community of faith are we going to be? Are we going to be one of those churches that's a 100% grace church with no truth, kind of a do-whatever-you-want-to-do, buddy-Jesus kind of church. You know, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. You know, if it feels so right, it can't be wrong. Is that the kind of church we're going to be? Or are we going to be a 100% truth church? A church that says, in response to the churches that say anything goes, and Jesus is just kind of a nice add-on, are we going to be a truth church that draws lines around everything and reduces following God to a list of rules, things we do and things we don't do? A black and a white church, a right and a wrong church, a church that says, listen, you can come here if you dress this way, if you look this way, if you have these sins, but you can't come here if you dress this way, look this way, have these sins. Are you seeing why this is such a big, important issue for us? What kind of church are we going to be? If we are one or the other, we lose Jesus. And we cannot be a church that loses Jesus. And I'm so thankful that New Life, to the, to, to the best of what I can tell about us, we're a church that lives in the tension. We're a church that says, come into God because God is 100% grace. Come like you are. Come completely messed up. 
Because guess what? We all are messed up. That's why we need God. And at the same time, we're going to speak truth. We're going to tell you what it means to follow after God. We're going to tell you what God says. Because if we forfeit either one of those, even for a second, even a little bit, we miss out on Jesus. And we can't do that. The tension is where we have to live as followers of God. And here's why it's so important to have both. We have to be a truth church because the truth is that in the end, sin will get you. It'll get you in the end. It'll get you every single time. I've said this before and I'll say it again. There is no sin that does not hurt someone. Every time we do something outside of what God has for us, it hurts someone. It hurts me and my relationship with God. It hurts those around me. It hurts someone. And I would challenge you, uh, if you think that there's a sin that you're doing that's not hurting anyone, come talk to me. I will show you how you're hurting someone by doing it. Every sin hurts someone, and we have to be a truth church because the truth is, I don't want sin to get you in the end. I don't want sin to hurt you in the end. I want you to have an incredible life with God. So we need to be a truth church because sin will get you. But we need to be a grace church because, let's be honest, sin has already got you. It's already got you. That's why you're here. No one walks into church on even playing ground with God. No one walks into church pretty much having it all together. The effects of sin in our life have already hurt us, have already hurt our relationship with God, have already hurt other people. So we need to be a grace church because sin's already got us, and God's in the process of healing us, of bringing us back to himself. I want to end with a story from John chapter 8, and it's not up on the screens, but I want to tell you about it because I think it illustrates this beautifully. Jesus one day is up on a mountain, and he is teaching the people— And the religious leaders bring him a woman who they say was caught in the very act of adultery. She was having an affair. And they say in the very act. I mean, they caught her in, you know, I can't even explain it. Uh, We have a video to show you. No, we don't have a video to show show you. Um, Man, if you just think those kind of jokes are inappropriate, thank you for being a grace-based church (laughs) who forgives their pastor. She's caught in the very act of adultery. And here's what the religious leaders say to Jesus. They say, the law says she should be stoned to death. What do you say? You know what Jesus doesn't say? He doesn't say, no, she shouldn't. Because the truth is, yeah, that's what the law said. She should be stoned to death. And he is 100% truth. And Jesus is the fullness of grace and truth. He's 100% truth. Instead, he does this. He gets down and he starts to write something in the sand. And we don't know exactly what it is, but I believe he was writing down sin in the sand, different people's sins in that group. And he says to him, listen, the law also says that if you have not committed this sin, and he has these sins in my mind written down on the ground, if you have not committed sin, you cast the first stone. You start the process of killing her, okay? So go ahead. You're right. She deserves to die. Go ahead. Whoever hasn't sinned, She's right there. She's trembling on the ground. She's probably got a sheet wrapped around her, trying to cover herself up. She's ashamed. She's embarrassed. She's crying. She knows she's done some incredibly bad stuff. So go ahead. Stoner. The Bible says that from the oldest to the youngest, the religious leaders started to walk away. The oldest ones first, because they'd done more stuff. And the youngest ones second, because it takes us time to realize how much stuff we've actually done. 
And they walked away, and he looks down on her, and he says, has anyone condemned you? She looks up at him, and she says, no one. He says, then neither do I condemn you. By the way, he could have cast the first stone because he had no sin. He could have, bam, all done, night-night, bye-bye. But he didn't. He said, neither do I condemn you because he is a grace-based God. And then he says this, Now go on your way and sin no more. Because he's a truth-based God. In Jesus is the fullness of grace and truth. I forgive you. I do not condemn you. You are welcome here. Now, because of that, stop sinning. Stop sinning. Sin no more. I want to talk for a few minutes because the Bible says it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. And I hope you know that the God that we serve is a grace-based God who does not continue, but does say to each of us, if we're really going to follow after him, now sin no more. So I want to talk for just a few minutes about sin. Because sin is serious. Sin is nasty. Sin's already got you. And in the end, sin will get you if you do not get rid of it. I would say there are two types of sins. Sins of commission, things that we do that we know we should not do. And as I've been talking, some of you today are wrestling with a sin of commission. You know you are doing something that you should not be doing. And it's eating you up inside. And you try to worship God, but you can't worship him the way you want to because you feel like a hypocrite, because you feel like you're hiding things. He would say, stop doing it. Fall on his grace and turn back to him and get that sin out of your life. And then there are sins of omission, things that we know we should do that we do not do. For example, some of us know we should be a better dad or a better mom. We should be spending more time with our kids or with our husband or with our wife. We should be teaching our kids what it means to follow after God, and we're not doing it. And that is a sin of omission. We are not doing what we should do. Um, baptism. We're, we're about to have a baptism service, and a number of us are going to get baptized today. But I'll tell you this. Jesus says, after you become a follower of me, you need to be baptized. It's a public declaration that you have come into a relationship with Jesus. You're telling the community of faith, you know what? I'm dead to sin. I'm not living in sin anymore. I'm living for Jesus and with Jesus. I'm 100% his. And some of us in this room, even though we know God says we should be baptized, we are not doing it. And I want to be as clear as I can, as loving as I can. That is a sin of omission. You are not doing what you know you should do. And because of it, you are distancing yourself from God and God wants to draw you close to himself. And here's what I'll say. If you've never been baptized, today's your day to be baptized. If you're a follower of Jesus, today is your day. And you're saying, you know what? I'm not dressed for it. Don't worry. We have dark colored shirts you can put on over your clothes. You're saying, I don't have a towel. Don't worry. We have a towel for you. You're saying, well, I don't want to bother people because they're all worshiping. You know what? We're all going to stand up together and people are just going to come down to the front. And I would say, bring a friend with you. Don't come by yourself. Bring somebody with you. But get baptized today. Why would we want to have that sin of omission where God has said to do something so clearly in his word and we just aren't doing it? It's hindering us from experiencing God. So I don't know what your sins are. I heard, I heard the, uh, the story about a pastor. Oh no, I'm going over time. I heard the story about a pastor uh, who used to get up and the first thing he did when he preached is he would tell someone, stand up in the congregation. And they'd stand. Did Ron say the story last week? No, okay, I just heard this from someone else. Thank goodness. 
I'm getting old. He'd say, stand up. He'd say, stand up. And he would tell everyone what their sin was. And he said, now sin no more. Okay, you can sit down. And then he'd go into a sermon. How'd you like to be part of that church? Oh my gosh. So, no, I'm just kidding. Don't stand up. I, I don't have a, I don't know. I don't have a word for you, but God knows. The Bible says that the Spirit of God leads us to truth and searches our hearts. You know if there's a sin in your life that's separating you from God. Repent of it. Deal with it today. Deal with it while we go into worship. And by the way, come up and be baptized today. It's going to be an incredible time. If you've never been baptized, come up and be baptized. And there are some of us here today who uh, you think you are that one person who's not following Jesus in this room, but I guarantee there are more than one of you in here who aren't. I got to tell you, God loves you so much. He loves you with an incredible love. He loves you with a love that goes deeper than anything you could ever feel or imagine. He loves you with a love that's too uh, powerful for words. I cannot even express the love God has for you. He could not love you more than he loves you today. He could not love you more than he loved you when you were at your worst. And he is saying to you, and I am begging you on his behalf, come back to God today. Start a journey with him. Start a relationship with him. We all have sin, and sin will get you in the end. So turn to God. When he died on the cross and rose again, he forgave us of our sins if we would turn back to him. And if you've never come into a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to pray right now, and I'm going to give you a chance to do that. So if you sense God stirring in you, calling you back to himself, and I know he is, you can just pray this simple prayer with me. And I'll tell you as I'm praying, I'll say, okay, now I'm going to pray this prayer. You just pray it where you are. Pray it in your heart, or you can whisper the words if you want to, to come back to God. But would you join me as we pray? Lord Jesus, we want to be a church that is both full of grace and full of truth because you are our God, you are our leader, you are our Lord and our Savior, and you are both grace and truth. So God, would you show us what it looks like to be that kind of community, to live in the tension, even though it would be easier to be one or the other, to live in the tension of being full grace and full truth, because in that, we find you. Lord, if there's anyone here today who's never come into a relationship with you, I pray, Jesus, right now that you would be stirring in their hearts, that you would be calling them back to yourself, that they would sense that you're real and that you're here and that you want to be in relationship with them. As we continue to pray, if you're here today and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you've never asked for the forgiveness of your sins and come back to him, today is the day for you. And so if you sense God calling you, you can pray this simple prayer after me. Just repeat it in your heart or you can just whisper it where you're sitting. If you sense God calling you back, pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died on a cross and rose again to forgive me of my sins. Today, I commit to following after you. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you dwell within me? Would you live inside of me? Would you show me the depths of your love for me? Would you guide me to truth? And would you guide me to you? God, today I say I want this relationship. Today I say that I want you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.